0: From the WCC studios in Waterloo, Iowa, this is From Here to There, candid conversations between students and career professionals exploring the diverse and sometimes unpredictable pathways that get us to where we're going. CC podcast from here to there. I'm your host today, Austin Fabrizio. I'm joined with my co-host, Matt Dunkerton. Hello, everyone. (laughs) And we have Tara Thomas with us here today. So uh, how are you doing?
1: Doing well. Thanks for having me.
2: (laughs) Where did you grow up?
1: Peoria, Illinois.
2: Illinois. Right in
1: the middle of the state. And it was a very leave it to beaver existence, despite the fact that it was a city, a bigger city compared to the Cedar Valley. So there were elements of crime and issues that you wouldn't perhaps deal with in a more idyllic, small rural town, but it was a great place to grow up. We rode our bikes everywhere and it was back in the seventies when parents gave us a lot of leeway and we didn't have helicopter moms and dads so we had a lot of freedom
2: mm.
1: <laughs> nice you had to be home by the time the streetlights came on type That's of thing right, right? That's uh, right. Yeah. you would be out for hours on end unsupervised and playing capture the flag and hide and seek and oh, making bracelets and rings out of yes. what we call lightning bugs some people in other mm. parts of the country call fireflies. fireflies
2: do you have a favorite game or activity you, you remember as a child like Absolutely. Like a board game or...
1: My middle school game of choice was Trivial Pursuit. I was Mm. very strong in that game and it led me to be a part of Scholastic Bowl in high school. Mm -hmm. I still have the original Trivial Pursuit game. And I thought the other day I need to have my children start playing it now that my daughter's in middle school. And as far as how video games started to influence <laughs> young people in the 70s i had an atari 2600 oh, and in man. middle school in sixth grade i had an atari club where neighborhood <laughs> kids would come and play and i had 40 cartridges
0: oh, and man. i was a
1: master at some of the games because i was the only one who had them by way of my aunt who was very generous with holiday <laughs> gifts so my strengths were kubert frogger pitfall there was even a, an early version of what now is a popular game of the, of the Spider-Man game, where you could swing from building to building. Now, granted, very rudimentary in terms of graphics, <laughs> right? But I would crush my the boys in my neighborhood <laughs> with the Atari Club because they didn't have the ability to practice as much as I could. Did you start the club? I did. Oh my God! We had Ambitious. a spreadsheet of our scores, and we would track our high scores. So,
0: man, well, I just I just started our own esports club here at the Career Center. Just
1: a I couple heard about weeks this. Yeah. I'm I'm excited to learn more about it. Yeah. My son is an avid Fortnite
0: kid, <laughs> so it will
1: be fun. And, and of course, NBA 2K and right and Madden. So it'll be fun to learn more about how people are applying video game addictions, perhaps for good.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Well, I think it's been pretty fun so far. I've been hosting like all the meetings and stuff, been planning that out. Um, We have a LAN party event this Friday where we're all just going to gather here during school hours and just hook up all our systems, practice, hang out. It's going to be, it's going to
2: be cool. So, what we'd like to do is follow your pathway a little bit through life, things you wanted to do or aspired to do as a kid, kind of some of the things that happened along the way. And then how did you get to where you are today? So tell us where you are today in, in terms of a career.
1: Communications director for Waterloo Schools, a job I've held now. This is my sixth school year in the position. So doing all internal and external oversight with communications around the district, engaging with the community as well as with the media. Prior to that, I had a long career in broadcasting as a news anchor, a TV talking head. I was also a producer and a one-man band photographer. So I would go out, shoot, edit, write, and do all of the production for a lot of the stories. And then I would be the evening anchor. So I would have to put myself together and get out there and present the entire newscast then (laughs) out on the West Coast. I was there for about eight years in Yakima, Washington. My first TV gig, though, was in Mason City, Iowa in 1995, right out of college. And interestingly, for those of you who know the history, I was one of the, I guess, survivors of a newsroom traumatized by the abduction of Jody Husentrude. I was the first person hired after her abduction, and I took her desk and had to clear out her voicemail and her personal effects. So it was a really unusual situation. But I had been out in Boston at Boston University in college. And pre-internet, I was not familiar with her abduction. So when I drove into Mason City for the interview in 1995, I was surprised to see all these yellow ribbons up around town. So when I inquired of the news director... Why do you have yellow ribbons around your tree out front? And what, what's going on? Oh, one of our news anchors was abducted two months ago. Oh but gosh. I was so happy to have the opportunity to get paid for a job I had been doing for free. I did six internships in college. So I didn't really, it didn't phase me the way it would as an, as an adult. I was a then right out of college, 22-year-old. And I didn't understand the impact until years passed. And I look back on it now and I think how unusually bizarre and, and also sad that was because all of her friends were still there with all of the questions that all these years later have never been answered. And just in the last month, 48 Hours did a follow-up on her abduction and, and they still really? consider it a cold case, but it has a lot of interest nationally. And everyone who grew up in Iowa during that time is quite familiar with the story.
2: Yeah, it became a national Man. news story for yeah, what so I happened.
1: was only there for 10 months, but the connections I made lasted a lifetime. I'm still friends with many of those co-workers, and I just wanted to pursue, at the time I was a reporter, producer, and fill-in anchor, and I wanted to pursue being a news anchor mm-hmm. entirely. And so that led me to a job in Yakima, Washington, and I did that job for quite a while and then came to KWWL in 2002. Okay. And worked with Ron and Rick and Mark, and originally did the morning news, and then moved to evenings. And I had that job until I came and joined Waterloo Schools in
0: 2013. Wow, man, that's quite that's quite the journey. Um, it was. It's communications director, such a fancy name. I know, right? It yeah. sounds so formal, but I'm
1: <laughs> I'm a very down to earth, I think, realistic person. But I just wear that title that really helps to cement the serious nature of communication because right. think about the crisis level that we reach sometimes with communication whereby an emergency could happen especially in a school. Yeah. And so even today I was involved at 520 in communicating the weather delay.
2: So back to your early days of middle school, was it a large school?
1: Well, interesting, you should ask. In Peoria, Illinois, Peoria Public School District, it is unique in that it has, it's one of the few public schools really in Illinois that has back then what was called a gifted school. And you would test, if you were selected in third grade, you could test into that program, much like we test for kids to enter into our ELP program, which is mm-hmm. expanded learning. So I was fortunate in third grade to be identified as gifted and talented, whatever that means. And I then had to go through a series of tests through Bradley University. And I was one of 60 students in the district selected to go to this theoretically magnet school. And so from fourth grade through eighth grade, I was in a cohort of 60 students who were all in this Washington gifted school. The interesting element of it was in some respects I think it set us up for an unrealistic experience in high school and college because Mm. you were coddled and told that you were smart and then I think you maybe had a lot more accommodations and breaks than Mm -hmm. you would get in real life and so for some people that probably was a shock to get into high school and college and then realize, mm-hmm. no, you're not special just because someone is labeling you as gifted. But the one thing that was really special, I think, is that we started foreign language. And so from mm-hmm. fourth grade through eighth grade, I had daily French class. It, it was French or Spanish, depending on which year you entered. So in fourth grade, I go in and I'm in the French cohort. And then in fourth grade, we had a unique chance to host foreign exchange students. So I had a, a girl stay with me for three weeks. And then the following year in fifth grade, we went to France, our whole class. Oh, wow. And we stayed for three weeks with a family in Paris. And it was amazing looking back now having children myself that my parents and all these other parents were so willing to just let us jump on a plane and fly <laughs> right. over to Paris. And this was a cool outcome. The girl that I was connected with her mother was a well-known actress in Paris and she was friends with Brigitte Bardot so it was a very unusual placement for me and we stayed in touch she and her mom came to visit us in Illinois and over the years we've lost touch but she has become a famous star Julie Andrieu and she is a she has a cooking show and is has quite a following in France
2: Is there a teacher that you remember from your grade school or middle school experience or even high school that you particularly enjoyed or uh, influenced you or inspired you?
1: Yes, I would say my French teacher, Madame Bright, fourth through eighth grade, and my homeroom teacher, she was in fifth, and she conducted the entire homeroom daily goings on in French so we did the pledge of allegiance in French all the attendance the lunch count everything Mm. in French and what was really interesting is when the parents then would come in for parent night or school conferences she would only speak to them in French so that was very intimidating and frustrating I think for parents but as an adult you appreciate how much she embraced the curriculum Today, Molly Bright and I are friends on Facebook, so she gives me a lot of likes and positive feedback, and so we've stayed in touch all these years. And the other interesting thing, she is African-American, so to have a female person of color be my French teacher for five years in middle school was an unusual experience compared to, I think, the stereotype of foreign language teachers. Have you retained any of that French... Yes, because I did take it then four years in high school and a year in college. So technically, I've had, let's see, fourth, fifth, sixth. So I've had ten years of French. Oh my goodness! So I at one time was quite fluid and then or fluent. But what's sad is, it's like anything else. I was also a, a accomplished pianist, but I've lost, <laughs> I've lost my piano skills and my French speaking abilities. However, at times when called upon in circumstances, I can engage with some of our families from the Congo who are French speaking. We have quite a few here now in the district. So I've gone to Tyson and talked to a few folks in French and it's very rusty, but I could do okay going to France and survive. navigating. Yes. Yeah. Without needing to Google everything.
2: Mm-hmm. Oh, Terry, you are very tall. <laughs> Did you play sports?
1: That is a great question, because I get asked it, or I did when I was younger all the time. At 5'11", you can't not have people assume you were a volleyball or basketball player. <laughs> Interestingly, my high school in Peoria, Illinois, Peoria Manual is a nationally ranked, was a nationally ranked school for basketball. So when I was in high school, many of my peers that were on the basketball team, the girls were taller than me, and they were much more aggressive. So I never played basketball, but freshman year, the coach pulled me aside and said, would you be interested in doing basketball? And I just said, no, I was interested in cheerleading in middle school. And I I was kind of a wimp. Now in Those four years, I did do volleyball, but I wasn't effective, so I was only intimidating during the starting lineup, and then they realized, oh, she can't jump or spike. (laughs) Even though I was a lefty, I I didn't have a a good left-handed spike, and I didn't serve well. So my volleyball career took me nowhere. In freshman year of college, any student over 5'9", receives a recruitment letter at Boston University back then to be on crew. So I was asked via a letter and then stopped by a crew coach on the street to consider doing crew because they needed people wow. who are, have long arms and legs. Yeah. I would have been horrible because I didn't have a lot of upper body strength and that's really what it takes to be effective with crew. Yeah. So my crew career ended before it began. <laughs> Interestingly, my daughter is an incredible athlete and she also is set to be well perhaps they're saying maybe five eight so interestingly not as tall as me but fortunately she takes after my husband who was a college baseball player so she has a lot of Natural ability. And I love that you just got out Soby. What an awesome well, touch for your guests. Yeah. We your pre-show your screening. Favorite, your your yes. favorite drink. Yeah. You guys are, so this
2: is our half ahead. this is our halftime drink. <laughs> yeah, halftime. So, this is great. Yeah. So um, have
1: you ever had Soby before? I haven't. Oh it's it's good. None of
2: our Black st- and blue none bear. of the students I talked to yesterday when we looked through your yeah, <laughs> <their laughs> questions had even knew what were, it was. They were all dumbfounded. They're like, What's Soby life wire? <laughs>
1: Here's the bizarre thing about me. I don't drink drink alcohol and I don't drink carbonated beverages. And up until a month ago, I never drank coffee or tea, but I've now started drinking green tea really light. Mm -hmm. So I am unusual in that I can't have any of those energy drinks or carbonated beverages. And I gave up soda when I was 18.
2: Hmm. And you've been pretty, pretty good about it then.
1: Yes. So it's just been a lifelong thing. So my repertoire of available beverages is limited i see (laughs) so so sobe is a favorite because it's like you're drinking water but to me it's it's like my soda because it and and of course it's flat so a lot of Mm. people that like carbonation wouldn't like it hmm i think it's
0: really good (laughs) it smells good Uh,
1: my favorite is pear my favorite flavor one time i went to hy-vee and to go you know in their health food section and all the pear sobe was out and i thought i "I can't believe (laughs) <laughs> Someone bought all the pear. And I, I went home to discover my husband had purchased every bottle Aww. of pear. So there were 10 SoBe pear bottles oh, waiting for that's me. that's so sweet. He's a good guy. <laughs> <laughs>
0: nice. Um, so I wanted to ask, uh, you went to Boston University for college. Um, what were your most memorable college moments?
1: It was just incredibly enjoyable to be in a big city where, as an adult, I would never be able to navigate it or afford it in the same way I did as a college student who was fortunate to have my parents footing the bill. Mm -hmm. So it was so exciting that during the school year, the average age in Boston is 26, and they have over 200 colleges in that immediate vicinity. So when you're on the T, the subway, which ran through the center of our campus, you're surrounded by all young people, and it's a Mm -hmm. really energizing, incredibly... Fun environment so that when I went back as an adult, I realized, wow, I don't like it as much because everyone's (laughs) young and they're all Mm -hmm. hip. And I was this, you know, mom. And it was like, okay, I get why I loved it and enjoyed it so much because many of the people there are sort of in that season of their life where they're young and inspired and excited about their future. And so it was, it was very, exciting but in hindsight incredibly expensive for my parents and i sometimes think if i had been given in 1991 when i graduated high school the option of here's a hundred thousand dollar check or we're going to pay for you to go to to college which would you have chosen and i loved school and i am appreciative of my degree but the money would have been tempting
2: Mm -hmm. Why, why boston university and what did you intend to study when you first went
1: So growing up in Illinois, I was always that kid who knew that I was going to move away or live in other parts of the country. I just, I never was homesick my entire childhood, not once. And so I wouldn't, I refused to apply for any colleges or to any colleges in the Midwest. So I applied to four, all East Coast. And I don't know why, I just thought a different part of the country, the East Coast was appealing. So I applied to Hofstra University on Long Island, George Washington University in D.C., and then Boston University. And, you know, I think it was just those three. Oh, hello, Syracuse University. (laughs) And it was cool that I got accepted actually into the Syracuse Honors Program, which would have been part of their broadcasting school but when we went to visit we drove out our our dodge family caravan and when we went and drove into syracuse and i looked around and i said this is a city just like peoria and their winners are even more brutal mm. and the whole social scene in syracuse was driven by fraternities and sororities and i'm not greek material that's not my thing and i just thought this isn't for me i need to be in a big city so bu offered that big city environment where you didn't need a car and you just jump on the t And then Hofstra was my safety school, and I was accepted there. And then George Washington, similarly, was a good option, but Boston at the time was more appealing than DC. And I wanted to major in broadcast journalism, and I knew that because I I discovered in seventh grade that I wanted to be a news anchor when I was reading Seventeen Magazine. That was something, AJ, that we did back then in middle school, Mm. we would read (laughs) magazines. Actual paper ones. They weren't digital. I wouldn't know. And <laughs> a girl in 17 Magazine was profiled. She had a new job at a new 24-hour news source called Cable News Network. And it was a picture of her in the tape room, mm-hmm. putting a tape in a deck. And I said, CNN, interesting. Mm. Someday maybe I could be a broadcast journalist. And that's the first time oh. I had ever heard the term. And then I went on to major in broadcast journalism with a minor in political science because I have a huge interest in politics. And so it was appropriate that my first TV job was in Iowa during an election cycle Mm. because covering the candidates traveling across the state beefed up my resume tape in 10 months and it helped me get the job as a news anchor then out in Washington State because they said that I had a lot of political reporting experience, even though I'd only been on the job for 10 months.
2: So that's how you get a job in... In that industry, you have to, you have like a, a tape of yourself on camera <laughs> doing reporting and things like that? And it, Correct. Okay. And
1: it used to be a VHS tape that you would mail. Yeah. Now, because of the internet, people's reels or their resume yep. tapes are all done by way of online editing and sharing. And so all of the agents, or even kids or young people who don't need an agent, they can just share a clip, a montage on YouTube, okay. and that's how people get hired.
0: Yeah, that's uh... had,
1: back. Back in the day, we had to order big boxes, bulk size boxes of five and ten minute VHS tapes, and then we had to print off labels and stick them on every tape, oh. and then make dubs of our reels, oh and then mail them all over the country.
2: Uh,
0: can you share a time that you've learned from failure?
1: Absolutely. Here I am. I'm attending college at Boston University, a seemingly prestigious experience at Mm -hmm. the collegiate level. It had a a good reputation nationally, so to speak, and I'm in their broadcast journalism program, and yet I am getting in line with hundreds of thousands of people across the country who want to get an on-air job in a TV studio, in a, a newsroom. So I received From the time I was nearing the end of my senior year of college in 1995 until I landed this part-time, no insurance, low paid, it was minimum wage, my first job as a reporter at KIMT in Mason City, Mm -hmm. I received over 200 rejection letters, all of which I have to this day in a stack. And one might say that's putting some level of failure before you because it's that competitive. And it was then in 1995. And I remember thinking, just because 200 people don't want me, doesn't mean there aren't a host of other options here on this list of market TV markets that stretched out from New York, LA and Chicago, all the way to Alpena, Michigan, over 200 markets. And so I kept Mailing, connecting, pounding the pavement. And it took an in-person interview when I drove to Mason City yeah. to land my first paid job. If you have a passion for it and you can't see yourself doing anything else, you will go to great lengths to make it happen. Oh, absolutely. I didn't have a plan B and I never did until I was older and more approaching middle age, but I just never saw myself doing anything else. And so it was nice that I persevered and that somebody gave me a shot. And I I still know and appreciate that news director today. And Mm -hmm. I actually ran into him in recent years and we've connected on Facebook. Really? So I appreciate him giving me a chance. That's nice.
0: Are there any other encouraging words you'd like to give to high school students that may be listening in today?
1: Absolutely. Just that... You think you have gifts and talents, but it really takes hard work, responsibility, and showing up to apply them. Mm -hmm. Because I knew a lot of people who I worked with over the years, who I went to college with, and I would say they were very talented people, and they had abilities that surpassed probably what I could bring to the table. But the difference is that I was always willing to show up and be an adult and convince the management that I was a team player. And those are the people that end up getting the promotions and get the opportunities that sometimes perhaps the more talented person gets passed by as a result. Mm -hmm. So it takes a lot more than quote unquote talent to make it in a lot of jobs. And it's definitely something where you see people achieving and moving on. And yet the backbiting of, wow, she wasn't all that great in college, or he really didn't have what so-and-so had. But the fact is, is they had what it took to persevere and Mm -hmm. to convince the person that controls the paychecks that they were worth the gamble because they were going to be the reliable, responsible one in the end. That's a hard lesson to learn as as a kid moving through the ranks out of college, because you realize then that takes more than this great resume that you have, you know, Mm -hmm. or this in the case of what we would present as a broadcast person, a resume tape, Hmm. just because you look good on camera doesn't mean you can deliver the personality and perseverance to be effective.
0: Very well said. Do you have uh, a funny experience that in your life, like what's the funniest thing that's ever happened to you?
1: A great story that I bring up when asked by audiences occasionally when I speak about broadcasting is what's one of your most memorable stories? What's something that you'll never forget? And I would say, and it has a funny element to it. I had a close friend who was a very successful country radio DJ when I was living in Yakima, Washington. She and I are still friends. She was 354 pounds and decided to undergo weight loss surgery. And she contacted me as this process was unfolding and said, I want you to be there to document my journey? And I said, absolutely. And it was by far and away the most memorable story I've recovered because it was multiple follow-ups to her initial surgery. Mm-hmm. I was in the surgery room when she had the procedure. It was a six-hour ordeal and I had all of my 65 pounds worth of equipment in there recording oh, the my surgery. Gosh. The disturbing part, the surgeon who had a very tongue-in-cheek and sarcastic approach to life, who I also became friends with, he played bare naked ladies during the surgery. <laughs> and here's this 354 pound woman, my friend, literally naked on this table. <laughs> I'm shooting the video and I'm so emotionally detached from it because as a photographer, as many of you who ever do shooting with moving video or stills know you are somewhat removed from reality because you're looking through your lens. Mm-hmm. So I was not grossed out at the fact that they cut her open and we're digging strips of fat out of her. And literal fat chunks were splashing off the goggles of the entire surgical team. And blood was everywhere in the room and blood-soaked rags. And And I'm not one who would say that I do well with medical exposure, but in no way was I squeamish because I was so fascinated by my role of shooting and documenting this story. It was a successful surgery. She went on to drop 175 pounds. She's kept it off today. She ended up being able to go into a store, and I captured this subsequent story where she once could never shop because she had gone down to a size where she could be shopping in places that weren't the quote unquote big and tall shops. And it was it was an incredibly moving yet humorous (laughs) thing to document. And the funny part is the week before her surgery she had a stacy's last feast at a local casino where they had a huge seafood buffet Mm -hmm. and all these viewers showed up so we could all pig out one last time before she went under the knife for her gastric bypass surgery
2: good story wow yeah (laughs) i was gonna say that is good story that is crazy Thank you so much for coming in. Thank
1: you. Thank you guys, Matt and AJ. I appreciate being your guest and I'm going to enjoy seeing where your podcast goes from here.
0: Well, we look forward to speaking with you again here sometime. Thank you to everyone who is listening today and we hope to see you next time.